You take out your swords, that's what they are. They're sharp and they're living. Rightly divides between joint and marrow, between soul and spirit. The living word of God, Genesis chapter 21. And the child of promise. Now in the story of Abraham and Sarah, up to this point, we've seen pretty much mistake after mistake. Amen? Kind of like a little bit of up and a whole lot of down and a little bit of up and a whole lot of down. And now they're back to that place that they've gone back to the tent and back to the altar, back to the place where God intended them to be all along. One of the secrets to the blessed Christian life is to stay where God wants you to be. Whenever we move, generally we move away from God. Not that moving itself is the problem. The problem is always direction. And so with the child of God, we see that God here in this particular story, the story of Abraham and Sarah, has been faithful start to finish. The problem's been Abraham and Sarah, amen? They've been wandering around. They've been moving from place to place. And so tonight, we'll take the first 11 verses and Isaac who is finally the child of promise. So would you pray with me? Father, we again are just so blessed that we can come to this place, your house, and study your word to worship you. We thank you for the gift of worship, Lord, for Eli and for the team, just leading us right into your throne room. And we are your children. And we declare that with our lives and with our lips. And we pray that you from heaven by your Spirit's work in our lives, would speak to us through the majesty of your word. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. If you join me at verse 1 here in Genesis chapter 21, as we look uh, finally at, at some victory here in this lifelong battle against flesh and spirit, the one that you and I still fight to this day, trying to do the right thing, but make sure that we're doing it God's way and not just simply the way that seems right unto man, which the end thereof, it scripture says, is death. In verse 1, it says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Underline it, highlight it, circle it. As he had said. Start to finish, God never lost sight of Sarah. In spite of the failures on her part, in spite of the failures on Abraham's part, in spite of their journeys away from the Lord, in spite of all the things that Abraham and Sarah had collectively done to place themselves outside of God's perfect plan, God never failed in his perfect plan. Just as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. And so you see the will of God and the word of God collectively in this first verse. You see the will of God and the word of God collectively in this verse. God's will is always attached to his word. What he says he will do. So if you want to know the will of God in almost any situation in your life, if you will go to the scriptures for those places where the word of God is in clear view for those situations and circumstances to which you are looking for an answer, if you will follow the word of God, you will not miss the will of God. 
The word of God and the will of God are always together. Remember that. Uh, So often people will come with questions and they'll actually have the answer already. They will start something like this. I know the Bible says. And then proceed to tell me why that does not apply to them. (laughs) It always applies to you. Because you cannot separate the will of God from the word of God. If you know what the word says, the only thing on your agenda is believe it and do it. Just do it. Abraham and Sarah could have skipped a whole bunch of heartache and headache, amen? They knew what God said. God had promised he would give them a son. It's on me. I'm going to make you the father of nations. I'm going to make you the, the father of a multitude. It was on God. Didn't need Sarah's help. Didn't need Hagar. Certainly poor Ishmael is actually going to bear the brunt of some of these mistakes in Abraham and Sarah's life. Parents, watch what you teach your children about following the word of God. Because when you won't do what it says, don't be shocked when they don't do what it says. Don't be shocked if they don't walk in the ways of the Lord. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at a set time of which God had spoken to him. Now that seems odd, but you see, from God's perspective, he's clear. Our problem is we don't like to wait for his answers. He knows what he's doing. He knows when he's going to do it. And when he said he's going to do something, our, our basic path should be, yes, Lord, your servant hears. Let me obey. Here am I. Send me. I will do what you've asked me to do. The problem was always on Abraham and Sarah's part. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore, Isaac. And of course, most of you know that his name means laughter. You remember the first time that Sarah heard this, her laugh was one of scorn, one of disbelief, one of unbelief, one of lack of faith. It's like, it was an are you kidding me moment. And I think that there's a little bit of a play on words, and I think to some degree, God is reminding Sarah, remember when you laughed at me? When, remember when you scoffed at my promises every time? Hey, Isaac, come here. Oh, that's right. <laughs> God leaves things in our lives to remind us of what he said and why he said it. And then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Remember, the Jewish people are not the Jewish people yet. Abraham's the patriarch, but there are no Jews. There's no Jacob who will become Israel. There's no 12 tribes yet. But God is speaking into their lives this sign. This way for the Jewish people ultimately to relate to God. A sign that they were going to be faithful to God. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. That's pretty old to be changing diapers. Amen? So God does have a sense of humor. (laughs) And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. 
and all who hear will laugh with me. And we're still laughing to this day. You, you have to giggle when you hear the story of Abraham and Sarah because you see so clearly the faithfulness of God in spite of the unfaithfulness of man, the very thing that Paul would write to Timothy. He said, Timothy, don't, don't forget, he is faithful when we are faithless. And she also said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. You know, it's like you, you look up people ready for children and their names are not on the list. You, you look up, you know, hey, I, I got an idea. Let's see if Abraham and Sarah can have children. You know, everybody's going to be giggling. This is an only God can do it thing. You know, God can use your flesh. He can use it negatively. He can use it positively. He can instruct you with your mistakes. He can correct those mistakes. He can even use those things which you mess up for his good because that's who he is. He works all things together to the good. To those, God, those who love God and called according to his purpose. That, that Romans 8.28 promise. It's the Genesis 50 promise that we'll see here in the Old Testament. That which Satan meant for evil, God intends to use for good. So God is always good. And he's always doing things uh, that, that fit his purposes and his plans. But who would have thought it? And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. Now remember why Hagar is in the picture in the first place. Sarah's lack of faith. Abraham's discontentment. Abraham moving away from his tent and his altar. Abraham taking his family to Egypt. As I've shared with you frequently and often, anytime you see the word Egypt, you can insert the word world. Abraham took Sarah, his bride, into the world. Instead of moving away from the world, he moved towards the world. Instead of pitching his tent in Shechem and looking towards the mountain of God, instead of staying where God had called him to go and being what God had called him to be, he said, let's go to the world, honey. Let's do things our way. Hagar comes into the family because of Sarah and Abraham's lack of faith. They don't want to wait. They don't see how God's going to do it. And there's a lesson here for everyone in this room. If you're here tonight and you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord, then this lesson is for you. Don't ever take your family to Egypt. Ever. Better to wait patiently in need than to take your family to Egypt. It never works out. Never. God can fix what you mess up, but if you want a recipe for a disaster, then take your family to Egypt. Take your family to the world. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, 
scoffing. There it is. Plain admission of guilt. She, she now recognizes, she sees it. Anybody else in here had perfect 2020 hindsight? It's like, ooh, I wish I hadn't have done that. I think we all have, amen? Don't raise your hand so every hand will go up. We all go through times when we have a lapse of faith and we, we may even think that we're doing God a favor. Anybody tried to help God out? Don't raise your hands for that one either. We, we do. We, we, we react in our flesh to try and help God. And then we bear the consequences sometimes for a lifetime of not listening to God. I understand what I'm saying because in no way, shape, or form am I condemning anyone in this room. I'm telling you, if you don't want lifelong circumstances that are negative to come to you, one of the surest ways to eliminate at least some of them is don't do things your way. Listen to God and what he says, do what he says. When we try and help God out, we end up in some really strange places, don't we? Doing some things, it's like you look back on your life and go, I I can't, I should have had a V8. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like you, you want to like, I don't know if you guys hit your head. I occasionally do. It's like, it's like, ah. And therefore she said to Abraham, now I want you to see this. Because this is yet another reaction of the flesh to a situation created by the flesh. Anyone in here ever had more flesh come from your works of the flesh? Again, don't raise your hand. It's a recipe. If you want more flesh in your life, act on your flesh. Whatever you feed, that's what's going to grow. If you won't put off the old man, then the old man hangs around and grows. It may be a wart. It may be a tumor in your life if you want to look at it. Arnold's words, it's not a tumor. It is a tumor. It's a growth in your life. And if you let it grow, you don't deal with it decisively, it will stay there. And it'll grow. And then what happens is, in your flesh, you end up trying to deal with the thing you created in your flesh. God's saying, cut it off. God's saying, kill it. And I'm not speaking literally of Ishmael and Hagar, but responding in the flesh to a situation that she created in the flesh is not going to do good for anyone. It's not going to accomplish the purposes of the Lord. And I want you to notice something beginning right here in the life of Ishmael. Ishmael is largely innocent at this point in time, but he's going to get bitter He is going to turn his back on his own family. He's going to pick up this negativity that's in the home, and he's going to act on it. Sin begets sin. Flesh begets flesh. And if you want to deal with flesh and sin in your life, then cut it off. Don't feed it. Don't add sin on top of sin. Because you're not going to get out of that, that behavior. You're not going to get away from the drugs and the alcohol or the promiscuity. You are not getting away from it. 
by just doing it a little less. All you're doing is prolonging the inevitable, which is you are feeding the flesh, the flesh grows. And so we see here in the life of Abraham and Sarah what could be and should be a life of faith and a life of promise that has a stain in it. Oh, there's faith and there's promise, and we'll see that. But they deal with the pain of these bad decisions for the rest of their days. And therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. Does that shock you? It should. If you love the grace of God, then those words should shock you. They should cause you to take a very deep breath and go, oh no. How how can you do that? Well, here's how you can do that. You're trying to fix a problem that you created with the flesh. I I don't want to see this problem that I created anymore. The national average of people who get divorced once that get divorced twice is growing year by year. The problem is, is you keep following you wherever you go. You take your problems with you. And if you're unchanged, you're unchanged. And so the very problems that created the first one create the second one as well. Maybe it looks and sounds a little differently, but the problem's internal, it's heart. And that's only one example. And so, well, I'll just not talk to my kids. I want them out of my life. Maybe if I don't remember them anymore. Well, what happens to the kids? They end up like me. Or I didn't talk to my dad for 10 years. 10 years. Couldn't stand him. Hated him. Why? Not anymore, by the way. Don't be shocked. Love my dad. But for 10 years, I couldn't talk to him. Because of the sin in his life that affected me. And I became bitter. And I became angry. And I became hateful. And I became unloving. And I became unkind. And I tried to deal with the flesh that was shown to me with my flesh. Newsflash, it didn't work. The only thing that overcomes flesh is the spirit. That's why this is a battle. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for this bondwoman shall not be an heir with my son, namely Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. What can we learn? For those of you who are old hippies in here, you you may remember the, the birds recorded a time and a season for everything. Turn, turn, turn. Comes actually from the third chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. 
There is a time and a season for everything in life. But God's supposed to determine when those times and seasons are. That's not on you. That's on Him. And so those seasons, those hills and valleys. Anybody have hills and valleys in your life? You can raise your hand for that one. Those high highs and those low lows. Those canyons that are dark and dreary and those mountaintops that are filled with light. Those times when you're close to the Lord, those times when it seems like he dwells in another universe. We have a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time when you cross over, as Deuteronomy 11 says. When you cross over and possess a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares and the eyes of your Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year, God sees. That's life. But there are hills and valleys. The question is, are you going to let God be with you in the valleys and the mountaintops, or is he only going to be with you when you're on the mountaintops? You see, Abraham and Sarah didn't learn to let God be God in the valleys. Oh, when they were up here, like, oh, praise the Lord. You've probably met those kind of people. As long as everything's going okay in their life, hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. But the first valley that comes along, out comes the bucket of flesh. And it's like, oh, I can fix that with this. There's some lies and some drugs and some thievery and well, a smidgen of adultery. Put that over there. You see, when we get in the valley, we can't see what's in the bucket. And instead of understanding that God is always there, and he always sees, and he always knows, and he makes it rain on the just and the unjust, by the way, we start to limit what God's going to do by the way that we respond to what God has allowed into our lives. What can we learn? Several things. First thing that I see here is the fulfillment of God's promises. Make no mistake, look how God is faithful in, in the sight of their unfaithfulness. In the sight of their actual bitterness towards this poor kid who's done nothing to this point that we're aware of to warrant this kind of treatment. Or for that matter, we don't know that Hagar has been unfaithful to what she's been asked to do. We, we see no record of Hagar being this evil woman that was you know, lurking in the shadows to capture Abraham's attention. Sarah went and took her. It's not her fault. But look what happens. But God is still faithful. Hebrews chapter 11 actually tells of the faith of Abraham in his obedience to go out to the place which he would receive the inheritance. And when he went out, he didn't even know where he was going. What happened to that Abraham? Ever had those times in your life where you started and you're walking with the Lord and you're walking in faith and all of a sudden, you know, something happens and you turn to the flesh and then 
maybe a decade goes by and you, all you've done is walk in the flesh. That's the story of Abraham and Sarah. Remember, when they started, they started on this incredible mountaintop journey. We're just going to go. You imagine their first conversation. Honey, God told us we're to start out on foot and drag all of our servants and camels and everything we own, and we're going to go about 1,200 miles that way on foot. God was faithful to even that little bit of faith that we would call a seed of faith. Another thing I see here is God was working while we're waiting. You see, Abraham and Sarah couldn't see that. They didn't know what God was doing behind the scenes. They didn't know why God was taking so long, so to speak. Anybody in here ever been guilty of not having the same time frame as God? It's like, because our time frame is like four nanoseconds and his is like years. He's got it completely under control. So our response to that is, let me help you out, God. You must be old. I mean, you've been around forever. And so I got my flesh bucket here. I got a few things. I think I can use this. And you take out something of the flesh and you try and help God accomplish his righteousness with your flesh. It doesn't work, ever. God was working. It's like Olympic athletes. If you look at the training regimen of Olympic athletes, it's like I get tired thinking about their schedule. It's like I'm up at four. Okay, I'll do three hours of workout. At seven, I'll have four calories of breakfast. Then I'll do another eight hours of workout. And then I'll cool down for 12 minutes, take a water break, and sometime at 8 or 9 o'clock at night, I'm going to go to bed and get four hours of sleep, get up and do it seven days a week. You see, it takes dedication to wait those four years. The Olympics only come every four years. Can you imagine what they're thinking like two years and nine months out? I made a bad career choice. (laughs) So maybe, you know, I heard about this thing called the ding-dong diet. You just eat ding-dongs and watch TV and play video games, and somehow you'll become an athlete. You know, because you can watch athletes on the screen with your thumbs. You can get engaged in the actual athletic endeavor of Olympic Y2K1200. It's like, okay, now I'm an athlete. No, you're going to get to the starting line and you're going to get smoked. Why? Because all that work that was going on was to help you be ready for when it's time to hear the gun go off. That's what God's doing in your life. Or little tiny things that you can't see. You just need to be faithful all the way along the journey. God's working. That's why you're to count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials, various trials. So James 1 says, because the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience leaves you complete and lacking nothing. We see God's power at work in this passage. It's incredible. 
Abraham's as good as dead. And by the way, it means what it says. He's past the age of having children. Sarah's past the age of having children. This is a miraculous birth. This isn't like, well, you know, we're just, we're very virile old people. No, they were dead. It was not a, a marvel of in vitro fertilization. It was a miracle of God. His power. We also see God accomplishing his purpose. The next time you get in that place where you're defeated, you're, you're discouraged. Maybe you feel uh, completely ravaged by the things of life. You can kind of remember Abraham and Sarah. They needed to wait and then wait some more and then wait some more and then let God do what only God can do. Amen? There's a contrast here. I want to take you through a couple of things and then we'll dig into our time. I've asked the pastor, but as you look at this, you see a clear contrast between the flesh and the spirit. Ishmael was a child of the flesh. We're going to do it our way, God. Isaac is a child of the spirit. The first birth is the flesh. The second birth, the spirit. You you get in the picture? It's a picture of your life in Christ. It's a picture of who you are. You're born in the flesh, but you need to be born again. You need to be a second birth person who's believed on the Lord, who's said yes to his offer of grace. And so in that, they they represent the work of God. Paul actually writes on this very subject in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 28 where it says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are a child of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh and then persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, even now. The flesh always persecutes the Spirit. That's the way it works. You give your life to Jesus, your troubles are not over. You just fight from victory instead of defeat. But you're still going to battle. Your flesh is still there. The old man's still around. That's not speaking of your husband, ladies. So Ishmael was born of the flesh because Abraham was not yet dead at that point in time. He was still very much alive. Isaac was born of the spirit because at that time there was no thing the flesh could do. It was all grace. When you trust the Lord, that's that miracle of birth that you experience exactly as John's gospel tells us in chapter 1. Now you're born of the spirit. So you have faith, you have grace working together in Abraham and Sarah. Those two covenants that are bookends. And so these are pictures really of us as the children of God. Isaac picturing that special birth, that 
Look at the things that come into the family because of this special birth, because of the child of God that's come to them. It brings joy to the Father. The flesh actually brings sorrow, but Isaac brings joy. Spiritual birth does that. You see this throughout the Gospels when we get to the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son and all those things. The reason those stories are so wonderful is there's something there that's actually lost. There's something that needs to be found. There's a person who's wandering. And when does the joy come? When the Father finds them. When they come running to the Father. When, when the flesh is dealt with. When the Spirit reigns supreme. Isaac in this picture had a new nature and walked in the Spirit. You, you see exactly as Galatians 5 says, your old nature cannot produce the things of the Spirit. It's an impossibility. If you want to walk in the Spirit, it is there that you will not fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh. But if you walk in the flesh, you're going to fulfill the desires of the flesh. And so we see that in Abraham and Sarah's life. We can learn these pictures from them. Isaac is going to grow, and he's going to grow spiritually. He's going to do the very thing that Jesus reminds us of. Matthew's Gospel, again in chapter 4, he, he reminds us, look, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's not just about doing the right thing the right way. It's about being immersed in the Word. That's why Paul would write, look, I, I, I want to feed you meat, but you can't take it yet. You're still needing to be weaned. You're still a baby. Isaac is going to grow spiritually. Ishmael is not going to grow spiritually. He's going to go downhill. It's going to be ugly. There's a time in every one of our lives when we've got to put away the, the childish things, the foolish things. We have to walk with the Lord in truth. You ever noticed how when you, when you see, I, don't, I have no idea what it is, but not only am I tract, attracted to babies, babies are actually attracted to me. I think as I make weird faces or something. But you know, when I see a baby with a binky in its mouth, it's like the cutest thing ever. 30-year-olds, not so much. You, you see a 30-year-old walking down the hallway, kind of, you're kind of like, you know, dude, you need to grow up. It's like, mama left you a long time ago. You've got a car in the parking lot. Come on, get with it. Ishmael's going to stay an infant. He's never going to grow spiritually. Isaac is because he is rich. He is free in the things of the Lord. And so it brings a conflict. That, that old nature, just exactly as it's been said, and I think it was D.L. Moody that said it. The old nature knows no law, but the new nature needs no law. Amen? My new nature in Christ doesn't need, doesn't need to be bound by the law. It is. But it doesn't need to be. My new nature is compliant with the things that God wants automatically. It's like, Lord, if that's what you want, that's what I want to do. 
When you're born like Isaac is in the Spirit, you're rich, you're free, you're able to do what God calls you to do. And Isaac was born that way, but Ishmael was born a slave. And so he stayed a slave to his old nature. It's the worst kind of bondage you can have as a child of God, as a slave to your flesh. I've seen people who otherwise you would think, man, they're, they're on a path to really do something magnificent for the Lord. But they can't get a grip. They won't surrender that area of flesh. And so they never get used by the Lord. I've seen people with tremendous musical gifts that could be wonderful worship leaders, but they're so filled with pride that God could never use them. I've seen people, especially young men, wanting to be pastors. They will not let go of the flesh. They got to go to the casino. They got to go after the girls. They've got to do the things that men are attracted to in the flesh. And so they're never used. They stay on the shelf forever. You don't want to go back to bondage. You want to walk in freedom. Isaac is a picture of freedom because he does not do a single thing to warrant his position. He's just simply born right. He's born of the Spirit. And while he's not going to live a perfect light life as no person in the entire Bible save Jesus does, He gets a huge head start, and you can see it throughout his life. He started in the Spirit, and he walked in the Spirit. And that's the type of person that you want to be. That's the type of person I want to be. If I'm going to be a slave, I just want to be a slave to Jesus. I want to be a bond slave to Christ. Because otherwise, I'm going to be a slave to my flesh and to sin. And that never leads any place good. Amen?